May I now invite Mr. Christopher Gee, Senior Research Fellow at IPS, to present the conference background paper entitled, Harnessing Singapore's Longevity Dividends, the Generational Economy, Society, and Polity. Mr. Gee. Good morning, and thank you for joining us at IPS's flagship Singapore Perspectives Conference 2018. My job here is to summarize the background paper we published ahead of the conference. I think you have copies in front of you. To set the scene and to provide a base for many of the discussions that we will have throughout the day. Before I begin, though, I'd like, to, I'd like you to think about this tension that I feel, and I think this is shared by many of us in this room today. This is the tension between the principle of self-reliance and individual responsibility on the one hand, and with the notion of the collective, a social state where people depend on one another. These two concepts, seemingly contradictory, run through all the scenarios and policies we will discuss today. They lie at the heart of our responses and choice making as we confront our demographic destiny. Narratives of Singapore's demographic destiny are often almost apocalyptic, described with terms like demographic time bomb, demographic bust, a silver tsunami. Demographers and social scientists also bandy about terms like old age dependency or burden that frame the outlook from a negative, glass-half-empty perspective. But other alternatives exist, or other alternative narratives exist. The elderly population are also solutions, productive resources that remain available to our society. Strong social safety nets already exist and may be extended further. Whilst we have already benefited from a first demographic dividend, there are other dividends that may be harnessed. Having a realistic and balanced perspective of our demographic challenges is a necessary first step in the journey towards solutions. Singapore, as you've heard um, from the director earlier, has to manage these challenges of an aging population in its context as a city-state with an open economy, only 720 square kilometers with no hinterland full of young citizens wanting to seize opportunities in the city and for older people to retire to, to have a more affordable, less frenetic lifestyle. Everything in the city-state is more concentrated, with density increasing competition for resources. Cities are very unequal places. Diversity combines with density to intensify competition between incumbents and newcomers and potentially also between the young and the old. Are we then to add generational divides to our already long list of differences in our people? Singapore's first demographic dividend was captured in the late 60s onwards. The share of the working age population rose quickly, and by 2000, had contributed almost three percentage points per annum to GDP per capita growth over three decades more than one-third of per capita growth over that period. However, the declining fertility that gave rise to the first dividend also causes its reversal. The effects of the first dividend began to reverse in the mid-2000s and now acts as a drag on GDP per capita growth of minus 1.5 percentage points per annum. This is the effective cost 
of our aging population, assuming things like labor force participation rates and wages remain the same. This then is the demographic bust scenario. But societies can adapt. Rational individuals anticipating longer lives have greater incentives to invest in human and economic capital to increase productive potential. There are other payoffs from longer lives, health span, education, and time to develop and accumulate savings. Improved health span, which is the number of years lived in a healthy state, could add to the number of productive life years of older Singaporeans. For example, the number of Singaporeans aged 65 and above will be close to a million by 2030. But if the health trends in the last 10 years can be sustained, there will be an extra 450,000 healthy person years in that cohort. This represents a pool of productive human capital equivalent to 20% of our resident workforce today. And don't forget, many of these older Singaporeans will be much more highly educated than the generation immediately before. We can also deploy our accumulated household savings, totaling $2 trillion worth, into productive investments to generate income to help us pay for our consumption in old age. These amounts complement public sector savings or our national reserves, which can and are invested to generate income to pay for our fiscal spending needs. This is the net investment returns contribution to the government's annual budget. Investments in technology and innovation can also boost these longevity dividends, but can yield unequal outcomes. The immediate impact of new disruptive technologies is likely to affect older workers most. So how can our society best adapt to population aging? Immigration can offset some of the quantity effects of population aging, and with appropriate calibration, help to fill resource gaps in our domestic workforce. Analysis we've conducted shows that in-migration has deferred the point at which population aging takes effect on economic growth. However, immigrants also get old. An ever larger intake of immigrants will be required to maintain economic growth. Immigration, therefore, cannot be the only answer. The longevity dividends we highlighted earlier, combined with technology, can boost individuals' capacity to provide for themselves in old age, but these can be regressive without appropriate socio-economic policy interventions. In Singapore, the family is recognized as the main source of societal support, but in the future, more and more elderly Singaporeans will have little or no family support. Other transfer mechanisms to help us finance old age consumption include tax-financed public transfers, where taxes on mainly working age persons are levied to help pay for subsidies and rebates on goods and services for the elderly. Higher taxes will have an effect of economic, on economic competitiveness, which is important in a city-state like ours with an open economy. Social risk pooling is another transfer mechanism. These are schemes like CPF Life or MediShield Life that help individuals hedge their longevity risks. These social risk pooling schemes could be extended into other domains, such as long-term care or employment, or even to hedge the risk of outliving our leasehold housing assets. All these mechanisms that help 
offset the effects of population aging are dependent on the level of intergenerational solidarity in our society. Our choices about preferred transfer mechanisms, family, social risk pooling, or taxation, and the effectiveness of savings-driven investments will depend on how much we care for a shared future together, both within our current generation as well as future generations. To this end, IPS conducted a survey on attitudes towards intergenerational solidarity, amongst other matters. The survey of 2,000 Singaporean citizens and PRs was completed last month and asked respondents for their views on this topic of generational support. And I'll share with you some of the initial findings. We posed a question on whether each generation should take care of itself rather than be supported by other generations, testing notions of self-reliance versus intergenerational support. Respondents were split. 41% agreed with the concept of generational self-reliance, but a surprisingly high 38% disagreed, with proportionately more of the young who might be expected to take care of the old disagreeing that each generation should take care of itself. In contrast to our many helping hands approach for social support, respondents ranked government as next in line after family to take care of the elderly as opposed to the community. Is this a reflection of greater expectation of the government or of the perception of the relative capabilities of the different sectors today? The risk of outliving one's retirement savings may be also forcing those in their 50s and early 60s to reserve assets for their own old age financial security instead of leaving them as an inheritance. Higher spending on the elderly has been predicted with the aging population. We asked respondents in our survey how this might be paid for, higher taxes or tapping on national reserves. Whilst we also had a mixed response to these questions, slightly more disagreed to paying higher taxes, with those in the 45 to 64-year-old age group more likely to disagree to higher taxes. This is unsurprising, as they are the ones who pay the most tax, but who also may have the responsibility of caring for both the young and the old. Although more on balance agreed to using more of the returns from investing national reserves to fund social spending on the elderly today, there were a high proportion of neutral responses to this rather difficult question. Respondents in our survey, pretty much across the different age groups, had the view that older workers aged 55 and above experience age discrimination when looking for jobs. Age discrimination would be a major barrier to efforts to raise older workers' employment and raise their productive potential. This will also prevent us from increasing the dynamism of our economy. In summary, Singapore has had the benefit of a powerful first demographic dividend, which is now unwinding as the population ages. There are, however, large payoffs if we are able to harness other longevity dividends through investments in human and economic capital, especially in health span, education, and by deploying accumulated savings in productive investments. Transfer mechanisms, such as tax finance subsidies or social risk pooling schemes, can in the meantime also help us finance old age consumption and pool our longevity risks. Ultimately though, it is our values, choices, and collective mindset that will help us determine our demographic destiny. I come back then to the contradiction I posed at the start. 
of that tension between the self-reliant individual with the concept of a community sharing its risks and opportunities. You've heard that these ideas underpin the necessary societal adaptations to aging, but I wonder if this framing is actually a false dichotomy. There need not be any conflict between these two, conflicts, uh, two concepts, and the society that manages to marry the two will manage the challenges of aging the best. Self-reliant, resilient citizens pooling their life cycle risks and sharing their futures with future Singaporean generations all together. I hope you'll have a fruitful day of discussions around these matters. Thank you.